Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you bi-weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from virtual CFOs, CPAs, and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you the results you need both in business and building the life you deserve. Thank you for joining us for episode number 112 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS and CoCPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and today we are welcoming back Amanda, our trusted marketing assistant here at PJS and CoCPAs. And she has just a wealth of knowledge and actually gave me some info about something that she was invited to do last week. And I was so impressed. And I think it's a really big topic currently just that companies are facing as a whole, and that is retention, team retention. And so Amanda, before we get into the topic completely, I want you to to just tell us about yourself for those people who are listening who haven't met you yet. Just tell us a little bit about your background and what you have done so far in your career. Yeah, I got my degree in mass communications, advertising and public relations. And I was doing like my minor in sports marketing. And I had thought that was the route I was going to go. But there was other plans for me, of course, that didn't happen. And so (laughs) I kind of went into just like generalized marketing for some companies. I traveled a lot and I ended up deciding that it was nice to help companies grow, but I kind of wanted just to see how it was on my own and make my own company grow. So I opened a business. It was a nutrition shop and it did really, really well. I kind of opened it in the middle of COVID, which was a smart and not smart idea, right? It's kind of like those taking advantage of the economy, but shipping was just horrible. So we ended up selling it, which I think was the best business idea. It was a great run. I learned a lot. And then I went back into the hospitality industry. I was in the hospitality industry in college for about five years. And so I kind of just made my way back into that industry. And that was the industry I did not think I would end up in at all. And so that's kind of where we got this topic from. I was invited to speak with the Chamber of Commerce on the hospitality board about retention. I did very well at retention for my own business. From start to finish, I had kept the same employees. And then currently, I've basically from start to finish kept the same employees, which is a huge breakthrough in the hospitality industry, especially Mm -hmm. during busy season, which is the summer. So Mm -hmm. that kind of led us to this topic right now. And I don't want you to downplay this. Like (laughs) (laughs) there was a reason you were invited to speak on this topic because Mm -hmm. there was a stat that you threw out that I think was impressive that I think you should share too. Yeah. So I was at 100% employee retention. I've basically been at 100% employee retention for the entire year. To like put that into perspective, we're overstaffed at the moment, which is a rare problem to have, I think, in any industry, especially in the hospitality industry, because the hotel business is a 24-hour business. So to be able to keep it fully staffed 24-7-365 is a huge accomplishment. So I won't downplay that. You know, I'm proud of that. That is huge. I mean, we're in the middle of just a time where people are jumping ship. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities out there and it's kind of in the hands of the employees at this time. Opportunities to work from home, people are paying more. We're in an environment right now that 
retention is difficult. You know, when I heard that stat, I was just like, oh my gosh, okay, we have to do this topic. That's amazing. Because one, the time that we're in, two, if anybody's worked in hospitality ever, you know, in any any area of that, I mean, I experienced it just working beginning of college. There was constantly new faces. It's just one of those industries. And at this juncture, I think it's such an important topic. And the fact that you've had the experience of being a business owner yourself. It's not retention in hospitality specifically. It's just the things that you can do to help improve that if you're having issues or keep that going. So thank you so much for one, bringing that up with me and sharing that because it's seriously, you should be proud of that. And two, being willing to share what you've done to have success in that area with our listeners, because it is something that a lot of businesses are struggling with right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, Megan. I think you, you kind of hit it on the nail there as far as the market. Adapting to the market, I think, is the hardest thing because, like you said, people have options. And when your employees have options, you might be the manager and you might be the boss. But <laughs> in hindsight, it's kind of the other way around, right? You're, you mm-hmm. feel sometimes like at mercy of your employees because you want them to stay around. Otherwise, being in a manager or an, an owner position, that puts you as every position if you don't have staff. So having to adapt to that market is maybe at the forefront of the retention. Yeah. And on the flip side, even when the market is flip-flopped, we don't want our employees working with us because they feel like they have to. And it's the last option. I know I've been in situations like that as well as an employee at usually it's at larger corporations, right? Where they like kind of lose touch (laughs) of, of their people. But it's like you're keeping the job because you're desperate. You don't really like it. They don't do appreciation. You don't want that situation to be what you're providing to your team either. So regardless of the market, I think it's something definitely to keep in mind. And we want an environment too where people stay even if they do have that option, right? Like they love Mm -hmm. working with your company and you've created that culture of appreciation and where you're rewarding your employees and you have fair compensation. And there's a lot of things that go into this, but there's four main areas that you put together that you've really focused on to achieve the retention that you've seen in your own business. And then again, in the hospitality industry, if you want to give us an overview, maybe of all four, and then we can kind of deep dive into each of them as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the major things I put at the forefront, which is huge in a lot of companies is leadership. There's a difference between a manager and a leader and really honing in on that leadership style is extremely important. Then I have communication and trust. You have to have trust in them in some shape or form. And the only way you can build that is through communication and a two-way conversation, not just a one-way. Not you telling them or them telling you, but just a full communication spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then appreciation. Your employees are your biggest asset. A lot of people cut budget by cutting, well, marketing like we talked about, mm-hmm. and cutting employees. And if you don't have employees, you can't make money. I always say you keep your employees happy and then the money will come. And so appreciation. And then the last one, which we already kind of hit a little bit on is adapting, you know, to the market. What is the market's needs as far as what are the employees needs and, um, and wants and, you know, to be able to retain them and keep them happy in a workplace. I think that's important because most people have to work. It's a need versus a want. Most of them, it's a need. And so them being able to wake up every morning and not dread to come to work or to see you, I think is extremely important. Yes, that's, that's a big one. 
And most of us have had that experience, especially when we were younger, where we had that job where we just like woke up and you have to sit in your car and pump yourself up to go inside. <laughs> it's like one of the things that I've tried as I've gained experience in my career too, is like, you always keep that in mind. You never want it to be that experience for somebody that you're leading or guiding or managing. Mm -hmm. So, oh, that's, that's a tough one too. Cause <laughs> you remember back to those experiences and you're just like, I yeah. never want that for anybody that is on no. my team. You know, you wake up and you're just like, I never, I wasn't a call in to work person. I can count on a hand, you know, the number of times I've called into work, but the right. amount of times I wanted to call into work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so leadership, I know you mentioned that's the first one. That is such a big topic. I feel like we need to dive into that one and we could probably, like, like I say, for many things that we talk about on this podcast, we could probably spend a whole hour or a full day talking about this with like different books that we've read and different things that we've taken away. But what are the biggest things that you've experienced or practiced throughout your career that you think have contributed to the high level of retention? I think with leadership, when it, it comes to really defining that role between manager and leader, it's not that role with an iron fist era anymore. It's not that inflict power or fear into your employees, you know, mm. eyes and heart and souls anymore, I guess is kind of how to say it, which is a little hard for me because I'm pretty old school when it comes to a lot of things. And I, I maybe should say this, maybe should not, but <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where I feel like if you have a job, you need to come to it, do your work, do it correctly, mm -hmm. make your money. It's not like it's volunteer work, you know, you're right. being paid for it and then leave. But that on the, you know, on the flat surface is harsh. And so you kind of have to dive deeper into that as far as, okay, I get that you have to be here, but then again, you don't have to be here. So really creating and fostering an environment, I think is huge. I think leadership trickles down. And so training your employees to do their job and do it correctly, equipping them with the tools and the resources that they need to do their jobs correctly, I think is, is a huge topic of leadership because if you can't guide your employees and if you can't teach and they can't learn, then you are just being a manager. And then that's when it turns into micromanaging. And then that's when it turns mm -hmm. into, you know, your employees thinking that you're breathing over their neck. So I think making that culture and that environment a priority is, is number one priority. That's a tough one too, because like you said, it's kind of, it, it's transitioned and it's almost, I don't know if it's a more sophisticated is the way to explain it, but there were very few managers that I had, especially early on in my career that managed in any way other than kind of fear, you know? And I kind of, <laughs> I thought of Michael Scott when you said that, like, do you want your employees to fear you or love you? Well, yeah. I want to be, I want them to be afraid of how much they love me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, I think it's just, it's been this transition of finding more powerful ways to guide people or to incentivize mm -hmm. good behavior because fear, yes, you can control people, but they're not going to feel good about that. Right. No, it's kind of no. like parenting and how that has kind of transitioned too. I can see that correlation on that side as far as how are we changing the way that we're interacting with people and maybe spending a little more time with them 
to understand what drives them versus mm-hmm. just do what I say, otherwise this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it does take more time though and more effort to, to lead does. that way. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the main things I've realized is it takes more self-development time. Mm. I think you have to really be developed and not fully, but developed as a person and as a leader in order to manage correctly. I've come a long ways since the very beginning because it's so easy to have that mindset where, you know, I'll just do it myself. It'll get done. It'll get done better. And then really releasing the reins a little bit to trust them and and they might not do it, <laughs> do it correctly or do it the way you want or do it the best, but just kind of guiding them. It's kind of like a kid, like you said, with parenting, they're not going to do everything correctly the first time. But if you just take, take the assignment away from them, they'll never learn. And then you will always be that micromanager and you will always have to do their job. And then if you are doing their job, what's the point of employees? Right, so, right. Well, and it is tricky too understanding how to delegate in the right way that isn't micromanaging and you're not totally just, you know, sink or swim either. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like there's, there's a balance between that and kind of understanding the person and how much handholding they need before they are able to go off and do their own thing. So it's a dynamic relationship too, that you have to build with each individual person, which is hard. I think that kind of leads into the next one of communication and trust. You have to have that trust. And that trust is hard to build if you're not communicating with them. I think they're all important, every every bullet mm-hmm. point we're hitting on, but they're all really hard too. And again, it's not something that happens overnight. It takes, I think, a whole lot of self-development to do, but with communication comes trust. But then you have to do that whole trust and verify because you can trust the employee all day long, right. but then that's where maybe you're giving too much leniency, right? Sink or swim because then you're not verifying. Letting your employees know at any level that they have the ability to communicate with you as a manager, obviously respecting, you know, tiers if they have a direct manager, but letting them know that your open door policy is truly an open door policy. I think a lot of people and a lot of companies say, oh, you can come to us with anything and then they do and they get shot down. so that's where you're really not going to build the trust. And sometimes it only takes one employee that you shut down and then that trickles to the other employees because they talk. Right. Yeah. And that's hard too, because if they're coming to you with something, it's, it's probably not something that's like a raving review. It's probably some challenge or something that they're having. And that I think takes a lot of self-development, at least from my end to not get defensive about those things too, mm-hmm. personally, because if you're leading this company or managing a certain area, you're the business owner, you know, it's hard not to take that personally when you've dumped so much of yourself into all of these things. Is there anything more specific? Like we say communication and trust, but are there like certain questions or certain conversations that you think have been helpful in how to handle those types of things or opening the door so that people feel comfortable? Yeah, it's kind of ironic, but I think the way you can open the door to those conversations is setting boundaries at the beginning, which kind of seems counterintuitive. But for instance, every employee that gets hired on, I specifically, no matter the department they're in, I sit down and I review our rule book with them. And this gives me the ability to kind of generally go over what we have, of course, as a company of expectations, 
but this also kind of lets me outline the whole communication thing. So I let them know kind of a main conversation I have with them is please come to me. Obviously, if you feel you can't go to your direct manager, if you feel there's something you need from me, whether it be something to do your job better, or maybe a suggestion you have. But then I always set the boundary as far as one, go to your direct manager and then come to me just so that way I'm not having employees overstep. And then Mm -hmm. two, I say, I kind of make sure I set the boundary as far as I might not be able to fix it. We might not be able to fix it because it might not be best for the hotel or just something we can't do at the moment, but that doesn't mean we can't try. Right. And so that way they don't come to you thinking everything has to be solved. Everything's going to be solved. They come to you with expectations on can this be solved and how can we do it together? And if it can't, what can we do to make the environment better if necessary? So I think really setting those boundaries and having that conversation at the very beginning Mm -hmm. um, with every employee, which takes time, (laughs) it takes a lot of time, but that's just that simple investment, the initial investment that you have to put in at the forefront in order for the back end to work properly. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. Setting those expectations so that they're very clear from the beginning gives you something to fall back on too if there mm-hmm. is something that comes up because you can refer back to that. Hey, remember when we talked about XYZ? This mm-hmm. is this is why. And like you said, it is a time investment in the beginning, but if you think about all of the situations that can arise if you don't spend that in the beginning because of confusion or because Mm -hmm. of frustration or because of resentment that's built up because you didn't spend that time in the beginning, you're saving so much time, you know, in conversations with that employee, if they leave and you have to hire a new employee, there's so many situations that can happen because of all of those feelings that can build up if you're not taking the time to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, Especially the time you take and the resources and the money you take to hire new employees if you can't retain. And that's, again, a whole nother topic in itself on how you can save your bottom line by investing now into your current employees. And obviously not all employees work out. And yes, you are going to have the one employee that comes to you with stuff that really isn't an issue or a problem because everyone's personalities are different, but those are usually pretty far and few in between. Um, So that initial investment is important. Yeah, I love that. And then the next one is really big too. I mean, for everybody, there's some people that say that this is is not a big deal, but I think it's just finding the way that people like to be appreciated is what it is. Like not everyone Mm -hmm. likes at our stand-up meeting with a hundred employees, like I'm going to pick you out and say, great job, everyone give a round of applause, you know? Not everyone likes that type of appreciation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about how we can appreciate employees or our team in the right way. Like you said, not everyone likes the same appreciation, which is huge. Like one of the owners of the hotel told me the story about how they had an employee that literally liked a gold star. You know, when you're younger and you do your chores and you put the gold stars on and mm-hmm. and she thought it was more of like a metaphorical thing like the owner did. And then when it came down to the line and this employee was completing stuff that meant a lot to her was to actually see that gold star. And and I think that goes back maybe to how you're raised and, you know, different um, circumstances like that. Mm -hmm. But seeing that gold star and having other people see that gold star under her name meant a lot to her. The owner at the time thought, oh, that's silly. But if this is what drives her, then this is what I need to do. For me, it's different. I think I'm kind of one of those people where 
I don't like hearing the good things I do. Like, I just want to not shine so much light on them. That's my personality and my, my way. And it's kind of another initial investment that you have to do to really figure out what your employees like and what they don't like and what really drives them. Because again, at the bottom line is if you can drive your employees, they'll drive the profit for you for the most part. And I think it depends how big your organization is. Obviously, you can't cater to each individual person all the time. If you have 10,000 employees overall, it's kind of hard to personalize stuff. So right. the the type of organization you have really matters. But um, I'm kind of at a smaller level. It's a little more easier to personalize. But I've seen some big companies, giant companies that I've worked for in the past, do really good at still trying to appreciate you in different ways. And I think those small things really, really matter. Yeah. One of the things that I try to do, especially with work things, is if you think of something or you see something that someone's doing exceptionally well, say something about it. Don't just think the thought and then move on. You're thinking these nice thoughts about people, but if you're not vocalizing them, they never know that you had that thought. Like You might think the world of this person, but if you're never saying anything, and again, you have to kind of choose the timing that you're saying that and how you say that to to everybody based on how they enjoy the feedback. But just not internalizing everything, I think is really important and recognizing that people can't read minds. I think that's huge. I think not keeping it internal and really speaking out. But like you said, there's a time and a place for everything. I read this book. Well, I listened to it on an audio and it's The Failing Forward by John C. Maxwell. Obviously, John Maxwell has a ton of great books, but the failing forward one, I took a piece out of it because it was kind of focusing on leadership and stuff. I believe it was this one. That there was, let's just say the CEO of a company, it was like a manufacturing company, I believe. And he would walk around like the production line and kind of like the manufacturing building. And he'd write like $5, $10 checks to these employees. Basically, if he saw them doing something great, he didn't know these employees one-on-one at all. But if he saw someone packaging the stuff nicely, correctly, efficiently. He would take the time and let them know, hey, I appreciate this the way you're doing it. And he was like a billionaire. So $10 was nothing to him, but it was more so of the act of appreciation on why he did it. I know that later on, they went on to interview some of the employees that he had given some of these checks to, and they said they didn't even cash them, that they hung them and framed them in their house because It was the gesture that made them happy and drive them to do better in their work environment. But fast forward to like now, I tried that exact same approach and it didn't go so well for me. I had to Mm -hmm. kind of tweak it a little bit because what I found, at least in the arena I was doing it at, was yes, it was they appreciated it was the appreciation. But within what happened was I had other employees that didn't receive a check that day retaliate against me. So it was a trial and error thing. I realized that in such a small environment like that with 30 employees, that that exact step needed to be tweaked. And so that's exactly what I did. I tweaked it. So instead of writing checks, I decided to do more individualized uh, appreciation like coffees and then kind of just let everybody know, hey, this week I'm going to be walking around looking at everyone. And I know everyone does their kind of preempted, right? I know everyone does their job. I know everyone does a wonderful job. Give them that appreciation on the forefront. That way everyone knows, okay, as long as I'm doing my job, I will probably get a coffee within this next week or two. So it's 
again, kind of tweaking it or knowing the environment you're in and when to say things and how to say them, I think is important because the same thing doesn't apply for everybody in every industry, obviously. But yeah. I thought that was a great, a great thing he did in that book that I took and then learned from and then tweaked. <laughs> That's a good point too, though, because sometimes we think we're doing something good and we don't see the potential challenges that can come from it. Like, that. Mm-hmm. and then, you know, you do... And I like that you didn't just completely scrap the idea. Like, well, that didn't work. Yeah. You know, we're not doing that anymore. You know, just having the ability to problem solve in a way that doesn't totally shut things down too, if they don't work right off the bat, I think mm-hmm. is a big deal. And one thing, as you were talking through that, one of the companies that I used to work for, they were smaller. They probably had 150 employees, but still small. They had a appreciation program where you'd get issued like 20 cards at the beginning of the year and five were like thank you for doing such a great job um you know they were like different categories of like you went above and beyond thanks for helping me out when I really needed it someone called in sick and you stepped up it was like different things and every employee had a stack of these that you would go give one to the employee that helped you and then give one to the HR department and at the end of the year we had a holiday party and whoever got the most in each category won like a a gift card to like Amazon or something. So that was kind of a neat way to not only have the managers appreciating those employees, but like everybody in the company was able to show appreciation by like, Hey, thanks. And you could like write a little card to each other that would actually ultimately go towards something at the end of the year. So that was kind of a cool program that they had there too. Yeah. That's nice. It's amazing how many different programs they have out there because you have such different organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really neat one. You kind of get everyone involved there versus just one person dictating it or whatever. Yeah. All right. So the last one that we have, I know we touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but is that adaptation. And I think that problem solving point that we made earlier, as far as like trying something and then, oh no, it didn't work. You know, that's really about adaptation. But this one is specifically to the hiring market and demands and and all of that. So let's touch on that one real quick. I know you mentioned the Failing Forward book by John Maxwell, and those will all be linked in the show notes for this episode, which can be found at pjscpas.com forward slash 112 if you're interested in getting those links. One of the books that I've read as well, like you said, Megan, we'll have them in the resources section, is The How of Leadership, Unleashing the Capacity of Your People. And in there, it talks about emotional intelligence. It's talked about a lot more now because of the market that we have, the changing market of people, how they have options, the different demands that employers need to meet. That's why you see the remote working a lot more and benefits are different. And so all these things that have, as far as benefits that have changed in the workplace, I think that's, that's very important to be able to be aware of how your employees are reacting and how your employees are adapting. And in the book, it talks about fueling innovation with emotional intelligence. The way the book's set up is kind of weird, but it's easy to read. So I would say a paragraph, but it's like a chapter, but it's literally like one page. Let's back up a little bit though, because if someone isn't familiar with that term, emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence, what does that even mean? It's one of those catch-all terms that like maybe you've seen, but you're not really sure like, what does that entail? Like, maybe I do have emotional intelligence. Maybe I don't. Like, I've never even really studied it. How do I know? Is it like my own emotions? Is it my employees' emotions? So I had wrote 
an article about this one time about emotional intelligence and in it, that's the main question. What is emotional intelligence? And kind of the simple terms of it is the ability to recognize your own emotions as well as the emotions of others in order to empathize <laughs> and to communicate effectively um, so you can build beneficial relationships. And I think the main word in there is that empathize word because there is a difference between empathy and sympathy. And I think as an employer and a manager and a leader, you have to empathize with people and not necessarily sympathize with them. And yeah, so that, that in simple terms is what emotional intelligence is. It's one of those terms that we talk about a lot, but like backing up and actually defining what that means for mm -hmm. people. And it, like, even for myself, it's not something that I've spent a ton of time looking into that specific area. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, now I need to read this book and make sure that I'm addressing those things. And you don't know what you don't know. So how do we work on our emotional intelligence? Like, does that book help you? Or are there any other things that have helped you as far as like podcasts or practices maybe that you do every day? For the most part, when it comes to emotional intelligence, I just done a lot of self-research on it, different articles, different YouTube videos. My husband's company actually does a wonderful job at this. They have what's called an EQ um, tests that you can take and basically it it's kind of like an IQ test but for emotional intelligence and I think it's a great it's a great leadership resource that they utilize at his company for leaders and to develop leaders and so I think if you're an owner or manager you should really look into that again I believe it's called EQ because the point of it is stating that emotional intelligence is becoming a greater need in the industry than an IQ test right I remember when IQ tests were huge. Yeah. And so now it's kind of trending a different way because again, the market is trending a different way. Mm. A plain example of emotional intelligence is kind of like you have an employee call in because they're not feeling well. When I was younger, you're not feeling well, your bills still need to be paid. You better go into work, right? right. Because your, your manager usually threatens you. If you don't come in today, then you're fired. Or if you don't right. come in today, you're losing shifts at that just plain blatant side of it. Now it would be if you have an employee call in because they're not feeling well, you know, your first reaction probably is just come in anyways, but then your second reaction is, okay, I understand you're not feeling well. What's the problem? What can we do to help you? Are you going to be out a couple of days? Empathizing with them in the situation that they're in to be able to find a good outcome, to communicate with them effectively to find a good outcome. So that's just kind of an important part of adapting to your market and your employees' needs. Yeah. And that kind of comes back around. It circles back around to the whole not leading with fear. And it's difficult, I think, for those of us who have been in the workforce for a long time, because it's opposite to almost your initial reaction and having to take that time, like take a beat, don't respond immediately and just, okay, how, <laughs> how should I handle this situation instead of just reacting emotionally, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. Really good way to put it. Because that's what we all want to do sometimes, right? Especially if you own a business or if you know, you're know you the CEO or the, the vice president or whatever position you're in where you have to be over a couple of people or manage a couple of people. It's like, usually you're in that position because you can handle a lot, right? You can handle a lot of mm -hmm. stress. You can push through those days that you're not feeling well and you can push through those days where it's not going well. And most of the time, that's why you're in that position. A lot of people don't want to 
totally show their hand. They like their personal life to be separate. So they may be, say, like downplaying some situation at home too. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. they don't want to give you all the details of like maybe something has really happened at home that's really that they're dealing with that no one else knows about too. And I think that's something that didn't really get talked about before. And it's part of communication. Like you hope that you're team feels comfortable to tell you what's going on so that you can mm-hmm. help them and that they understand that you legitimately do care about them. But not everybody feels comfortable sharing all of those details too. So you just never know. And I think that's where a lot of that comes into is like just having that empathy and understanding that there's different perspectives and and you don't necessarily have 110% of the information all the time <laughs> to mm-hmm. fully no. make those judgments. So it's easy for yeah. your brain to just do it because we have to, to survive, right? Like we have to make those judgment calls in a snap, but that doesn't mean that you have to like snap at people, <laughs> you know? like keep yourself in check and, and kind of check in and make sure that you're, you're treating people with that empathy and, and communicating and keeping that trust and all those things that we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a time and when I was working, it was check your personal life at the door. You leave mm-hmm. your emotions at the door yep. and you come to work. Yeah, um, We're all human. You don't know what people are going through. And I believe that there should be some type of work-life separation, mm-hmm. but again, we're human and your emotions intertwine and your life's intertwine as far as working. I think, was it Jenna Guzman said, it's kind of like a mashup, right? Like it's yep. intertwined. And yep. so- just remembering we're all human regardless. So, Well, I know it's stepping out of your comfort zone to talk about all of the, <laughs> the amazing things that you've done, but I think it really is cause for celebration. And it it's helpful to talk about these things that have led to the success that you've seen in this area. And hopefully our listeners take some really valuable things to take into 2023 and help push their businesses forward and keep that retention number high. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep that momentum going and we'll see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.